0: So um, today we're going to continue our series, we took a few weeks off um, for Easter and Palm Sunday, but we're going to continue our series, Heed the Warning, and that's our uh, systematic study through the book of Jude. Um, Today's message title will be called Hopeless to Hopeful, Hopeless to Hopeful. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and start turning in the book of Jude, and we're going to start in verse 12, and we're just going to read everything for the intro. So Jude, verses 12 through 25. Also, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today, so um, if you have not gotten the elements and you would desire those, at the end we're going to have a chance for you to raise your hand so we can get those to you if you missed them on the way in, okay? So once you've found Jude uh, verse 12, please stand to your feet for uh, the honoring of God's word as we read his word. So starting in Jude verse 12, the Bible says this, these people are dangerous reefs at your love feast, as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars, for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, The Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented, grumblers, living according to their desires, their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage." But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end time there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the Spirit. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver, save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring Jude to write this precious book. Lord, we know by now that even though it's a short book, it is so full of truth and is full of warnings for us today, warnings that we need to hear, warnings that we need to heed as we go through this life. Lord, we know that there are many who seek to destroy the truth. There are many who seek to undo the word of God. But Lord, we know and we stand on and we trust the promise in your word That your word will endure forever and lord we know that no matter what kind of scrutiny or criticism comes against the bible that the bible has always stood and it always will stand that your word truly will endure forever so today god as we look at this as we live in a hopeless time lord help us all to leave here encouraged because we know that there is hopeful times coming we ask all these things in Jesus' name amen you may be seated so if you guys remember back and this was a short time ago but march 2020 We remember March 2020 as being a very difficult time, the beginning of a difficult year and year and a half. Even though it was so recent, it feels like it was a really long time ago. You know, it was a time when our lives were completely changed. When everything was shut down in March of 2020, we originally thought it would only be a few weeks before everything would open back up. Instead, we found the opposite to be true. Local school systems diverted children from in-person learning, to at-home learning for months on end. We were told not to have Thanksgiving and Christmas with our families. Every time we watched the news, we saw the latest COVID death counts. We weren't able to travel internationally for some time. And our pastors here at Pole Creek couldn't even visit congregants in the hospital like we were used to doing. Our churches were uh, pressured to shut down. And even as your pastor here at Pole Creek, I was pressured to shut our church down a time or two. And if we didn't, we were even called irresponsible. Many people were afraid to leave their homes because of compromised immune systems. Loneliness was at an all-time high because of the isolation that this horrible crisis brought. Anxiety was running rampant as working parents frantically tried to find places for their children to go during the day. And I could go on and on about all the difficulties that these past few years have dealt us, but one thing is certain, hopelessness was and still is at an all-time high. But as Christians, we're not a hopeless people. We are a hopeful people. And even in the midst of difficult times, we have a hope that lasts throughout. We have a hope that we can bank on because we know that our God cannot lie. It is impossible for our Father to lie. And we know that He certainly wins in the end. Jude, here in this great book, spoke of a hopeless time as well that is still very present even today. You know, even though Jude was written in the first century some 2,000 years ago, it is amazing that even in the first century that they were dealing with many of the same things that we're dealing with today in the year 2022. It was a Middle Eastern culture that he was ministering in. It was a whole different set of people with a whole different set of cultures, but yet they were dealing with the same sin problems that we're dealing with in our society today in the United States and across the globe in 2022. Jude did not describe, though, these difficult times that he was seeing as though there was nothing that could be done about them. Jude described the hopeless state during his time, and then you know what he does? He gave them an action plan of how to combat evil and hopelessness. Today, we're going to look at this action plan that Jude sets forth in Scripture, and we're going to see how we can apply that to our lives today. He spoke of how hope is always present in the lives of believers, even in the middle of the most hopeless times. Now, I hope me bringing up the COVID situation did not bring about any anxiety, because remember, we're on the other side of it. I think it was just uh, maybe last week where an entire city tried to reinstate uh, mask mandates, and there was such an outcry from the people that in two days they reversed the mandate. So I think that's what it takes. It takes us standing up against um, these, these horrible mandates that are hurting our children, that are hurting our people. Um, you know, one thing is true, you don't want anybody to catch COVID. But then whenever you clamp down mandates so difficult that you have students committing suicide, um, I think you need to weigh out the costs. And I think you need to start trusting God. And I am so glad that we're in a place now where we are, I feel like we are back to normal. And, and I'm so thankful for God's grace in bringing us back to this point. I know there was many of you probably wondering if we would ever get back to normal, if you would ever have to uh, not worry about going into a store and being approached because you weren't wearing a mask, or, or feel like you had to keep that mask on you at all times, or feel like you, know, you had to be careful about how close you got to someone, or feel like you couldn't shake someone's hand like you used to. I'm thankful and believe that we're beyond that now, and that is just an act of God's grace in our lives. So we must stand up against that, certainly in the future. So what I want us to look at today is as Jude goes through Um, this action plan of addressing this hopeless and wicked state that he saw the church in. He's addressing a local church here and local Christians. And what was going on in this local church was they were having people coming in and teaching false doctrines. They were teaching something about the grace of God that basically gave people a license to sin. So what they were saying was, listen, God's grace is so wonderful and so extensive that you can keep living in sin and be okay. Okay. You can embrace your sexual immorality. You can embrace um, your lying. You can embrace your thievery. You can embrace all these things, and you're still going to be okay because the grace of God is so vast and so uh, extensive. Well, that's a false gospel, my friends. We know that in the book of James, the Bible says, faith without works is dead. That if you claim to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet you live in a repetitive lifestyle of sin, the Bible says that you're a liar that you make God a liar, because when you're saved, you have victory over sin. Now, let me clarify that a little bit. That doesn't mean that once you're saved, you're perfect, and you're never gonna sin again. What I'm talking about when I say sin is a lifestyle of repetitive, unrepentant sin. In other words, if you know someone who's living in this lifestyle of sin, and it's not just, you know, I slipped up one time or something like that, but it is a a week after week, day after day, sinful lifestyle, and they say, but you know what, this is just my weakness, but I'm a Christian. Based upon the authority of God's word, God's word says that is false. The Bible teaches us that when you're saved, you become a new creation, a new creature. The old things have passed away and all things become new. We must teach a grace of God that saves people from their sin, not saves people so they can remain in their sin. We must teach a grace of God that is so beautiful and so sweet that it changes the very heart of the believer into a person that has an inclination towards sin to a person that has an inclination to holiness. Now remember, that is important as we talk about that. So, as Jude is talking here, he's going to start talking about the current situation. So, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. The current situation, hopeless. The current situation, hopeless. And we're going to see that in verses 12 through 6. So as the Bible says there in verse 12, he's talking about these people who are coming in and preaching this false doctrine of grace. He says, These people are dangerous reefs at your love feast as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever." And then it talks about Enoch and what Enoch said about the judgment that was going to come upon those people. So as Jude is confronting this false doctrine and these false teachers in the church who are leading people astray and are teaching someone that's contrary to the word of God, we understand that they redefined the grace of God. We see that whole thing spreading throughout our country in churches today. We see even Baptist churches who are licensing their people to sin. They're saying, you know what, true love is love, and it doesn't matter uh, whom you are loving. As long as it's love, you know what, you can embrace any kind of a sexual lifestyle. You can embrace any type of marital relationship. You know, there's these churches now that that are embracing sexual immorality. They're licensing their people to sin, and the Bible teaches that for those pastors and those church leaders in those churches, there is a great judgment coming upon those people. These are people who claim authority to preach and teach the Word of God, and yet they're teaching people how to sin. They're teaching people to be okay with their sin. Well, evidently, they're either not paying attention to the Word of God, or they've got a completely different Bible than we have, because God is offended by sin. The Bible teaches us that before we were saved, we were enemies of God our just our existence was an offense to god because of our sinfulness and our sinful nature but you know what that didn't cause god to hate us you know what he did in return he said you know what i hate your sin but i love you and i'm going to send my son so that you can be saved from that evil and that wickedness now me as a believer in jesus guess what i am no longer an offense to a holy god One day I'm going to be able to stand in his presence and because of the blood of Jesus and his holiness, guess what I'm going to be able to do? I'm going to be able to stand in front of God Almighty in his unadulterated presence completely unashamed, completely holy, completely righteous, even though I'm a sinner. That's how God loves us. You know, I've heard it said before like this, the way that God hates sin and thinks of sin is the way that Jesus was treated on the cross, See, Jesus actually bore our sin upon his own body, the Bible teaches. And as my sin and your sin was laid upon Jesus, he was beaten. Beyond the point of recognition, okay, this was not just a simple beating, but he had just flesh laying open in his back. And then he was spit upon, and he was cussed, and he was hit with people's fists. He had to carry his own cross, and he hung on a criminal's cross, the cross that should have only been for murderers, the cross that should have only been for rapists, the cross that should have only been for people who committed treason. Our Savior hung upon that cross. Why? Because my sin and your sin was upon him. So God said, you know what? Instead of judging you, I'm going to judge my son. Instead of giving you an eternity in hell, I'm gonna make my son endure hell upon the cross. And that's what Jesus did for us. Yes, he's offended by your sin, but he loves us so much that he's not willing that any should perish. That's the great God that we have. Well, here we've got these people who are trotting under their feet the blood of the Lord Jesus, and they're saying, you know what? Live however you want. Don't worry about it. God will overlook it. God will be okay with it. His grace is just that good. And as Jude is describing these people, he's talking about how they are clouds that can't produce rain. You're going to hear a common theme here. They're trees that can't produce fruit. This is verses 12 through 13. And they're waves of the ocean that are wild and destructive. They're stars without a home. In other words, they're hollow shells of people. They have no fulfillment, no satisfaction. These are people who are trying to satisfy themselves with the lusts and the passions of this world. These are people that are so miserable in their sin that they're trying to drag as many people into it as they can. They're clouds that can't even produce rain. Beginning in verse 14, we see a very interesting excerpt in the Bible. This verses 14 through 15 is a quote that's actually taken from a book that is outside of the Bible. Jude actually does this twice. The first one is about uh, Satan and um, uh, the archangel Michael disputing over the bones of Moses, which is taken from a book called the Assumption of Moses. This next one is taken from what's called the Book of Enoch. Now, there was a lot of books written during the first century, even before the first century, that had titles that were similar to biblical books. But for one reason or another, these books did not meet the highest of standards to be entered into the canon of Scripture. And when I say the canon of Scripture, I'm talking about the measuring rod of what it would take for a book to be placed in our Bible. Now, in a a certain council back in the 4th century, they met about this. The church met about this and distinguished between what books should be entered into the Bible and what books should not. Many of the New Testament books were only to be entered into the Bible if they were written by apostles or if they were written by someone who was closely related to or knew an apostle. Because then that would have given you the first or secondhand accounts of the life of Christ. But the book of Enoch is not one of those that was accepted. So Jude is not saying here by using this excerpt from the book of Enoch that there are books outside of the Bible that are also inspired. What he's simply doing is he's using an excerpt from an outside source in order to make his point. It would have been a book that the local and early church would have probably known a little bit about. But this is kind of how it goes. Beginning in verse 14, it was about these the Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. So what I would say is the book of Enoch is not inspired, but because a portion of the book of Enoch has been now placed in the word of God, that portion is inspired. And God indeed meant for that to be in his word. So what it's talking about is that great patriarch of the faith, Enoch. There is so little known about him in the Bible. He was the seventh generation from Adam, and the Bible teaches us that he was so close to God that one day he was there, the next day he was gone. Enoch was one of two people in Scripture that got to go to heaven without dying first. Isn't that awesome? Hey, maybe a bunch of us will be able to do that one day in the rapture, and we can be right there in that same club. But Enoch didn't have to die, and Elijah didn't have to die. But here what it's saying is, is he's pulling out this and he's saying in Enoch's generation there was ungodliness just like in our generation. And Enoch preached to those people that there are going to be a terrible, terrible judgment coming upon you. Those of you who, ex, or who uh, have ungodly things, ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. You know who that him is there? God. He's saying there is a great judgment coming upon all of those who distort and pervert the Word of God and speak out against God. And that's not something to play with, my friends. The Bible even teaches us that not many should desire to become teachers because the standard for someone who teaches or preaches the Word of God is much higher than someone who does not. In other words, I'm going to have to stand before God one day and I'm going to have to account for everything that I've preached and taught from this pulpit. And if I have done anything carelessly, if I have done anything contrary to the Word of God, I am going to have to answer for that one day. Today we have many, many people doing that very thing. Even when you watch the news, even when you uh, watch TV, see sitcoms and TV shows nowadays are propaganda tools. And what I mean by that is they are teaching you a way of life through entertainment. They're teaching you a sinful lifestyle and a sinful understanding of humanity through entertainment. And believe me, that is not just by mistake. Okay, This is a very effective tool that they're using. Whether you use the Netflix platform, and even now many of you know that Disney is starting to move in that direction very heavily. They start to teach, hey, you can have two mommies. Who are in a relationship together hey you can have two daddies who are in a relationship together and now we've taught our children that if you're watching a cartoon and there is a family with two mommies or two daddies you come and tell us and i can't tell you it's probably been and you can handle with no better than me four or five different shows that we've had to te- tell the kids they cannot watch anymore and i'm not talking about sitcoms or adult shows i'm talking about cartoons I'm talking about computer-generated cartoons that are meant to appeal to children. Listen, it's running rampant. Jude saw it in his day. Today, we're seeing it. And a lot of people will say, you know what? If you believe in some God that, 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 that doesn't accept the, the choices and the lifestyles of all these people, then you, you accept a hateful God and a mean God. And they say, you know what? You know, you're, you're a bigot. And you're just, you're just so mean because you're not letting others live the lifestyle they want to live. And listen, I'll say this. I don't want anyone to live in a moral lifestyle because I know that it's going to hurt them and damage them and destroy them. But it's one thing for them to do it. But it's a whole other thing when they then start putting it off on my children. When they then start putting it in front of my children. See, they're not okay with just them doing their own private thing and their own lifestyle. They want you to accept it too. They want you to teach your children that it's okay. They want you to say, you know what? We welcome the sinfulness of our day and age. And you know what the Bible says? We can't do that. We cannot compromise with the word of God because true love is telling people the truth in love. True love is caring enough about an eternal soul that you're going to share with them when they're living in sin, Hey, guess what? Nobody likes being told they're sinful. Nobody likes being told they're wrong. But the Bible doesn't say, just share the gospel, just share the truth when people like it. The Bible doesn't just say, hey, just do this when people ask you about it. But hey, there were men of God, prophets of the Bible, the apostles, who shared the gospel in the midst of people that hated their guts, in the midst of people who killed them for preaching the gospel. And these are the heroes of our faith. Now let me ask you this, if they can do that in a a culture ruled by the Roman Empire where Christians were persecuted, how much more so should we be doing that in such a free nation like the United States of America? We ought to be taking advantage of it. And we ought to be telling people, listen, if they get offended, hey, I'd much rather offend somebody today than them to stand before God in eternity and have to pay a price for their sins. I'd much rather make somebody a little bit mad. I'd much rather somebody call me a bad name or two and me know that I am being faithful to the word of God than to let somebody die in their sin without the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, let me tell you what, it's worth it today. And it's time that we as Christians quit having such a soft spine. It's time that we as Christians stop playing the games that the world's sending our way. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are job scared nowadays. They say, well, you know what, Ben, if I stand up against this, uh, if I stand up against this gender theory training and against this pronoun training, I may lose my job. Well, praise God you know what? The good Lord will find you another job. You know what? If you stand up against it and you take a stand for what's right and the purity of God's word, God will bless you. But you know what? Nothing's ever going to change if we just keep going with the flow. If We just keep letting it ride. Hey, listen, Jude was preaching to a generation of people that I promise you, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. They enjoyed their sinful lifestyles. They enjoyed the temple prostitutes that they would visit there in their local cities. They enjoyed this open relationship type stuff that they were participating in. But Jude still preached the word, and it meant the world to those who heard it. So we think about that. Jude is using this excerpt to communicate the point of judgment. And I believe that is the very same uh, message that John the Baptist preached. If you remember, John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We are urging people to repent of their sin. You know, I, and I understand this, but a lot of times we say just ask Jesus into your heart and, and, and everything will be okay. But we're leaving out the, the part about repentance. We're leaving out of the, of the part that your sin is what is keeping you from a relationship with God. And in order to be saved, you've got to deal with your sin. You've got to turn from your sin and, and mourn over your sin. Just simply asking Jesus into your heart is not repentance. Just asking Jesus into your heart is just basically saying a prayer that you think has some mystical value that can save you, and that's not the case. The Bible says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you may be here listening to me today, and you've never repented of your sin. You say, Ben, I've been in church. I've hung out with Christians. You know, I prayed a prayer a long time ago. But today, you evaluate your life, and you realize, I'm still living in sin, I never really experienced the change that he's talking about. It's very possible that you never got saved. It's very possible that you never repented of your sin. And what repent simply means is you're going in one direction and you say, you know what? I don't want that anymore, I want Jesus. I'm gonna turn from my sin, I'm gonna change my mind about sin, and I'm gonna change my mind about me being my own God and me calling my own shots, and I'm gonna embrace the God of heaven by accepting Jesus as my Savior based upon his death, burial, and resurrection. That is true salvation. That is the true change that we must preach about. That is the true change that the Bible talks about. Listen, if you come to church and you look like the rest of the world, and listen, this might offend a few people, but I'm in the mood this morning. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or I'm just fired up. All right, Gerald Haney gave me a fireball. I'm about to put it in my mouth here. What do y'all think about that? But girls, if you're dressing just like the world, you need to check up. If you're exposing yourself to men in in, in a way that's, that's causing some issues, you need to check up. You need to dress a little different than the world dresses. Men, you ought to be ashamed of yourself when you're looking for reasons to lust after a woman. Hey, it goes both ways. It's not just the women's responsibility to prevent men from lusting. Men, if you see an attractive woman walk in front of you, them crossing your path is one thing, but when you fix and you stare at them, when, when, you, when you let that look linger a little bit longer, that's when it becomes lust and that's when it becomes a sin. And we need to be a people who are different. We need to be a people who actually exemplify what the Lord Jesus Christ taught true Christianity is. We've got to be a people who say, you know what, the culture of the United States has some good things in it, but it's also got some really bad things in it. It's also got some things that are going to drag you into a deep hole. Hey, you wonder why our children have image issues? It's because of how much we focus on appearance. It's because of how much we focus on fashion. It's because of how much the junk that they're watching perpetuates that your value is based upon your clothing or your lack thereof. And we ought to be a people who preach against that. Hey, you can be attractive and modest. Did you know that? And I believe if you're a young man looking for a young lady to date, you ought to look for someone who's modest. Ladies, if a man expects you to dress any way other than modest, Kick them to the curb. Get rid of them as fast as you can. Amen? We ought to be a people who are different. And here, that's what Jude is talking about. He's saying in the midst of the hopelessness that we see in this world, in the midst of the craziness that we see in this world, the Lord Jesus Christ is still on the throne. The Lord Jesus Christ can still do a mighty work in your life. The Lord Jesus Christ can still bring you to a place where you can make a difference in the lives of other people. I want to read verse 20 here in Jude. He says, but you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. And you know what? He's given us some things to do, some things that we can begin to do in this crazy world to where we can still make a difference. Number one, verse 20, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. You know what that means? Every great home has a good foundation. And as Christians, this has got to be your foundation. And did you know that you can build yourself up in the most holy faith if this is your foundation? If you will unwaveringly commit yourself to follow the word of God, if you will uh, change and alter your life to fit this, God will build you up in the faith. Next thing we see here in verse 20 or verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Knowing that he loves us, there is a fellowship there that we need to have with God. Did you know once you're saved, you're always saved? If you're truly born again, you're always saved. You can't lose your salvation. But in the midst of your walk with Jesus, sometimes we lose fellowship. Sometimes we do things that we shouldn't do. And it's almost like this, this silence goes in between us and God. It's almost like when you say your prayers, your prayers are hitting the ceiling or, or, or things are going on. You know how you keep yourself in the love of God? It's not that God stops loving you, it's that you stop loving him. And what you must do is restore your fellowship with him. Maybe this morning you've got sin in your heart, in your life, that you're, that you're hiding and that you're keeping to yourself. You feel convicted about it and you hate it, but yet you're not repenting of it. You're not letting God have it. You know what you're doing? You're not keeping yourself in the love of God. You're not respecting and honoring your relationship with him. You're not honoring the fellowship with God. And as long as you keep that sin in your life, you are gonna hurt your fellowship with him. Also, we see here in verse 21, to wait expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. In this crazy world, you know what the Bible's telling us to do? Wait expectantly for Jesus. Did you know he's coming back? Did you know that our king has promised that he's gonna come back? That he's going to come back to take all of those who are his. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who remain shall be caught up in the air together with him to live forever and ever. Hey, you know what? When the world gets crazy, turn the news off and look to the sky. Say, Jesus, I'm waiting on you. I'll be right here when you get here. It may be tomorrow. It might be 10 years from now, but I'm expecting you. And you know what? When we look for him expectantly, you know what? When he comes, he ought to have a, a mass group of people that say, Lord, we've been watching We've been looking, and you're finally here. And you know what? that? Nothing like that can bring him honor and glory more than us looking and expecting his coming. And then it says in verse 22, have mercy on those who waver. Doubters. Hey, you know what? We deal with doubters all the time. They say, how do you believe that Bible stuff? That's just a big fairy tale. How do you believe that, that there's a, a, a really a God in heaven? How do you believe that this stuff is really going on? The Bible says to have mercy on those people. To spend time with them, to be patient with them, to love them enough to talk them through these things. Because the more that we love them and we expose them to the Word of God, the more likely they are to come to know our Lord and Savior. But then it says in verse 23, hey, while we're waiting, while we're waiting in this, uh, this hopeless time, one thing, another thing we can do is save others by snatching them from the fire. You know what that means? Sometimes you got to get a little rough with people. Did you know that? You can't always kind of tiptoe around and say, well, you know, you, you you kind of shouldn't be living like that, but, you know, I understand your, your circumstances. No, hey, if you don't repent of your sin, you're going to die and go to hell. You ever had to tell somebody that before? You know, sometimes people need to hear that. Some people need to realize that judgment is not just somebody slapping you on the wrist, but judgment is an eternity in a place called hell. That the Bible teaches us it is a place where the worm does not die. It is a place where the fire is never quenched. And when we're telling somebody to repent of their sin, we might ought to be honest with them about the judgment that is to come. And Jude is saying that in verse 23. And then he's saying this, and have mercy on others with fear, uh, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, hating sin. Did you know today that we're called to hate sin? Did you know that hating is not always a sin? Did you know that? That it's okay to hate certain things. Did you know God hates certain things? God hates sin. God hates death. God hates those things that rob him of his glory. Today as Christians, you know what we're called to do? We're called to hate the very same things that God hates. Now let me be clear with you. God does not hate people. God does not hate his creation. He proved that in sending his only son to die for the world. But God does hate sin. And you know what we need to reflect to the world? I see sin like God does. I feel the same way about sin that God does. I hate it. And when I see it consuming my children, when I see it consuming my loved ones, when I see it consuming uh, my neighbors and my community members, I should hate it enough to do something about it. You know one thing I hate in meetings is when there's an issue and everybody just wants to talk about the issue. They'll beat that dead horse and beat that dead horse and beat that dead horse. And after about 25 minutes of talking about how terrible things are, how much you got done? Nothing. Have you figured out the problem yet? No. We just know it's bad. It's bad. You know what? It's time to stand up and get something done about it. Time to quit just talking about it, the oh me, the oh my, and wringing your hands and wiping the sweat off your brow, and actually do something about it to make a difference. You say, Ben, I'm just one person. There's over 300 million people in the United States. There's over 7 billion people on planet Earth. Start with one. Make a difference in the life of one person, and I promise you it'll mean the world. God's put people in your life that I'll never be able to touch, that I'll never be able to even meet possibly. But he's put them in your life because he wants you to do a work. He wants you to minister. He wants you to to save them from the fiery judgment that is to come. He wants you to love them enough that you're willing to be honest about their sin and the destructive lifestyles they're living. Don't tell me you love somebody if you've never told them about Jesus. Don't tell me you care about somebody if you're not willing to share with them the God who loved them enough to send his only son.